Chapter 18 of The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of the World A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 18 The Beginnings of Mohammedanism. The land of Arabia, a square peninsula lying, as it were, on the corner between Asia and Africa, with the sea on three sides of it, and the desert on the fourth, had never been conquered by any of the big empires of the East or by Rome. It was a difficult land to get at, and it had not much to give to the conqueror. The Arabs are a Semitic people and related to the Jews. They have always lived much the same lives as they do today, being shepherds or merchants, living in tents and carrying the things they had to sell to the coasts in caravans with long strings of camels. The Arabs were at one time worshippers of the stars, but knew that there was only one God. Later on, they began to worship idols which they set up in temples. It was near one of these temples in the holy city of Mecca that the famous Muhammad lived as a boy. His father was dead, and the boy lived with an uncle who was a priest of the temple. Muhammad lived a quiet life near the temple, and as he grew up, sometimes traveled with the caravans which went from Mecca to the seacoast. There were many Jews in Arabia, descended from some who had fled there when Titus destroyed Jerusalem. It was perhaps from them that Muhammad got the idea that there was only one God, and that it was wrong to worship idols. But he thought that this was taught to him by God himself, and that he was meant to preach a new religion. He used to have attacks of sickness and convulsions, in which he thought that God showed him wonderful things. He tried to write them down afterwards, and later they were made into a book called the Koran, which Mohammedans to this day believed to be a holy book like the Bible. Muhammad was married and soon converted his wife and her relations to his religion. His religion was that there was one God, and Muhammad was his prophet. At first the people of Mecca were very angry when he spoke against their idols, for the black stone called the Kaaba which was built into the wall of their temple, was visited each year by numbers of pilgrims from all parts of Arabia, and this made the city rich. The story was that this stone was really the angel who had been told to look after Adam in the Garden of Eden, and that it had been changed into a stone as a punishment for neglecting its duties. Meanwhile, it was counting the kisses of the people who came to worship at the temple, 
and when it should be changed into an angel again at the last day, it would give an account of them. So the people of Mecca did not like Muhammad's teaching at all, and Muhammad thought it best to run away. His flight, as the Mohammedans called it, was in the year 622 A.D., and they count that as their year one, just as we do the year in which Christ was born. Muhammad fled to the city of Medina, and there a great number of followers joined him and listened to his preaching. There were so many of them that in a few years Muhammad led them to Mecca, ready to fight and take the holy city. The people of Mecca had to give way, and after this the temple became the center of the new religion, Islam, as it was called. Mecca was still a holy city and a place of pilgrimage, and people from all parts of Arabia still flocked to it. When Muhammad died, all the people of Arabia were Mohammedans. One of Muhammad's followers became head of the new religion and was called the Caliph. And now, suddenly, the Arabs, who had always lived so quietly in their own land, were filled with a wish to spread their religion. The Caliph led great armies to conquer other lands, and the people who were conquered were offered the choice of three things. They could become Mohammedans or pay tribute. If they refused these things, they must die. To the people of the East, the Mohammedan religion often seemed good. It was better than the worship of idols, which was the religion of most of these people. But to Christians, it seemed a terrible religion, and the Mohammedans terrible people. When the Caliph led his armies out of Arabia, he went first against the great Persian Empire. In a short time, it was conquered by the Arabians, or Saracens, as they were called, and they now ruled the land even past the Euphrates. Soon, too, they conquered Syria, which belonged to the eastern emperor. Then they turned to the north of Africa, took Egypt, where they destroyed Alexandria, and built the city which is now called Cairo. A Saracen fleet was built and sailed the Mediterranean, and soon the whole of North Africa was taken, and they crossed into Spain. It seemed that this strange, fierce people, with their curious, half-savage religion, might go on to conquer the empire in the east and overthrow the new nations in the west. But this was not to be. The great emperor of the east, Leo the Iconoclast, went out to fight them when they were attacking Constantinople itself. He won a great victory in the year 718 A.D. and drove them out of Asia Minor. They did not attack the Eastern Empire again for many years. This Emperor Leo was called the Iconoclast, or Image Breaker, because he took the part of some of the people in the Eastern Empire 
who did not like the use of pictures or images of Christ and the saints. They thought that to use them was like idolatry. For a time, the iconoclasts had their way, but soon the images were brought back. Not many years after the Saracens had been driven back from the walls of Constantinople, they had conquered the whole of Spain. The Visigoths were driven back into a corner of the northwest of Spain, and now the Saracens prepared to cross the Pyrenees and conquer the kingdom of the Franks. But they were defeated by the Frank Charles Martel at the Battle of Tours in 732, and so driven back into Spain. The Franks had become, by this time, the greatest people in the west of Europe. They were splendid fighters. Their soldiers went on foot, but were protected by mail shirts and shields. They stood close together, their shields making a sort of wall. Time after time, the Arabs dashed themselves against it until they were tired out, and then, for the first time, the Franks moved chasing the enemy across the Pyrenees, the mountains between France and Spain. So the Arabs were held back in both east and west, but they kept Spain and Africa. All through the Middle Ages, the Christians in Spain were fighting against the Arabs. Bit by bit, the Spanish people, which was formed by the mixture of the races which lived in Spain under the Roman Empire and the Visigoths, who had conquered them, drove the Arabs south. But it was not for 700 years that the last of the Moors, as the Spanish Arabs were called, were driven out of Spain into Africa. The north of Africa, though it was conquered by other nations later, is quite Mohammedan in its people to this day. When the Saracens settled down in a country, they often became very civilized, and the greatest scholars of the early Middle Ages belonged to this people. They studied the philosophy of the Greeks and put together a philosophy of their own. They studied science, too. We can best understand what the Arabian civilization was like by a study of their beautiful buildings, which may still be seen in the south of Spain. The most beautiful of all, perhaps, is the wonderful palace called the Alhambra, with its marble pillars and painted walls. The Moorish poets called it a pearl set in emeralds, referring to its whiteness among the green trees of the woods around. Charles Martel, the great Frank soldier who drove the Arabs out of France at the Battle of Tours, was not the king of the Franks. After the death of Clovis, the kings of his family who followed him were very weak and stupid. They left the government of the country very much to their officers, called the mayors of the palace. This position was kept for a long time by one family and handed down from father to son. They became a sort of royal family themselves and certainly had all the power. 
The Franks by this time had conquered a great deal of the land to the east of the river Rhine, so that their kingdom was made up of the country which is now France, and also part of the country which is now Germany. They were always conquering, too, the German tribes further east, and it was while these conquests were going on that English monks, like St. Boniface, went among these people to make them Christians. As the Franks became more and more powerful, they became more friendly with the Bishop of Rome, who was now generally called the Pope and who was head of all the churches in the West. The church in the East sometimes obeyed the Pope too, but there were always quarrels between them, and in the end the Eastern church became divided from the Western, and only the Western church obeyed the Pope. This state of things has remained until now. The Russian and Greek churches believe in very much the same things as the Catholic Church, but they will not have the Pope as their head. In the West, however, the Pope was growing more and more powerful. Kings and bishops from all the nations soon had to do what he told them. When Charles Martel died, he left his power to two sons. Carloman and Pippin. But Carloman chose to become a monk and went off to Italy and became a Benedictine in St. Benedict's own great monastery at Monte Cassino. So his brother, who was called Pippin the Short, was left to rule the Frank kingdom. Charles Martel had been king in everything but the name and now Pippin took the name of king too. He asked the Pope to help him in this, and the Pope, who was named Zacharias, did so. He said that it was only right that he who had the power of a king should have the name too. The king himself was a weak, stupid man, who lived in a kind of farm in the country with very few servants and no riches or magnificence. Pepin now told him that he must give up the throne, and to make things quite safe, he made him become a monk. Meanwhile, the Pope was having a great deal of trouble with the Lombard people in the north of Italy. They had given up their Arianism long before but they had never really settled down and mixed with the Italians. They hated the Pope because they wanted Rome as their own. The Lombard king was threatening to attack Rome when the Pope asked Pepin to go to his help. Pepin marched over the Alps, defeated the Lombards, took from them a large piece of land in the middle of Italy which they had conquered from the Exarch of Ravenna, and gave it to the Pope. Before this, the Pope had only had Rome, but this land, with others which were added to it, afterwards became a little kingdom by itself, ruled by the Pope, and called the Papal States. Once these states were taken in this way by the Pope, there was no chance of Italy becoming a nation under one king, 
like England or France or Spain. The Lombards had to pay tribute to Pippin for their lands in the north of Italy. Some years afterwards, Pepin died. He too divided his kingdom between two sons, Carloman and Charles. But Carloman soon died, and Charles became king of the Franks. He is one of the greatest men of the Middle Ages, and famous in history under the name of Charles the Great. End of chapter 18 Read by Carrie Adams, your book voice, at Mesa, Arizona, on the 19th of February, 2022.